My name is Aaron Wing Young. I need to welcome those who are joining online. Uh, so if you are joining online and today's message uh, has impacted you, please do get in contact with us. Our email address is office at connectchurch.nz. That's office at connectchurch.nz. We would love to hear from you. Church, can we put our hands together for those that are joining in online? What an amazing piece of technology. So I am uh, a pastor here. Um, I used to be a youth pastor, and um, I said it in the last service. I'm going to say it again. I used to be a youth pastor, so, uh, I used to be a youth pastor but I got fired. And um, I love saying that. It's not true, by the way. I am I'm married, and I have been for nine years. Hello, somebody. Um, do you know I said that in the 8 a.m. service, and it was silent because the average age of marriage is far greater than nine. You know, someone yelled out, try 70. <laughs> no, they didn't. Uh, I'm married to Miranda, uh, nine years. What, a, what an awesome uh, day it is today. Uh, let me pray. Let me pray for, for God's word and, uh, and let's believe that we see change this morning. God, we thank you uh, for who you are. Uh, God, you're so, so good. And, and we acknowledge that this morning, God. We pray that you would have your way in this place, God. Um, we pray that you would move, uh, Lord, and that you would meet everyone in, in their need. Uh, Lord, this morning, and uh, and we pray, God, most of all, uh, that your name would be glorified in this place, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. "Amen." Do you know one of my one of my favorite scriptures of all time is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven in the NIV version it, it reads, uh, "For I know the plans I have for you," declares the Lord, "plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future." Now, I had this, um, this canvas which had this scripture printed on it, and it would sit above my desk where I used to study. And so every day, or every day that I would study, which was once a week, I would, I would look up at this, this canvas with the scripture on it because to me, it attested to the plan that God has for you and I. Now, I'm a firm believer that God has a plan for our life. Right? I'm a firm believer that God has a plan for our life. And such an idea has become synonymous with the Christian prayer. You may have heard it. Someone might have prayed it over you going, God, thank you for the plan for this person's life. Or you may have prayed it to someone. God, thank you for uh, the plan that you have over their life. Uh, you may have prayed it for yourself as well. But whatever the prayer is, we often embrace this idea of a plan. But we can easily forget about the nuances and the detail that make up any good plan. What's in a good plan? Well, you've got things like uh, uh, action points, things that need to be done. You have delays, things that don't go as fast or as slow as we would have hoped. You have tough decisions. And many of them, when a decision is made, sometimes we don't necessarily agree with. We really mention these, right? Like, like could you imagine? God, thank you for the plan and the milestones and the action points and the tough decisions and all the good stuff that's going to happen in between. We just say, God, thank you for the plan. You've got a plan, and, and that's good. And we refer to this plan and think God isn't concerned with the stuff in between. But can I say God is 100% invested in his plan? Not our plan, his plan. And by this very nature, he's interested in the detail right down until the lowest level of detail. This morning I want to talk to the disruptive moments that we encounter in life. 
And when you think about a plan, you have A, and you have B, and maybe C, D, and E, but you have all these things which happen in between. Many of them are disruptive. And so I've got a title for you this morning. I do. Write it down if you want it. It's called Themes in Philippians to Help Us Through Disruption. How good is that? So much creativity. I was walking with Miranda yesterday. She's like, what are you speaking about? And I said, um, themes in Philippians to help us through disruption. And she said, well, you're going to have a title for it. And I said, that is my title. <laughs> so that's what I'm going to speak about this morning. And um, <laughs> let's be clear. There's some good forms to disruption, right? There's some good forms to disruption. Um, for example, this morning, Neil rearranged the chairs in the 8 a.m. service. There was chaos. Because they were like, where do I sit? What do I do? There's some good things to disruption. Let me give you another example. Marriage. Um, uh, You've got to understand, Miranda is from the country. And I'm from the city. And, And often those two things don't gel that well sometimes. And so when we got married and we moved in together, Miranda wanted to do country stuff like milk cows and pick up horse poo. And, because that's what country people do, I think. But I wanted to do city stuff, right? Like, I I wanted to um, drink coffee and talk. (laughs) And more more talks. Um, Another example is, uh, okay, who wears gumboots to the supermarket? Hello. So, okay, so when we first got married, like, this rubbed me up the wrong way, man, because Miranda would wear gumboots to the supermarket. I was like, you can't do that. And so... Whilst we lived through things like that, we just compromised, and uh, most of it was good. Some of it. But, but I'm not so much talking to, to these things, right? I'm, I'm not talking to the good side of disruption. Um, what I want to talk to is the disruption that tests our willingness to carry on. Um, the disruption whereby our faith is stretched and tested to the limit. You know, where you feel like you're at the point of giving up. I want to speak to the disruption where we feel unprepared and incapable of coping. Um, I have a story for you. So uh, early in this year, uh, earlier this year, I had one of the busiest weeks of work planned. Monday to Friday, set out, planned meticulously. And there was all sorts of stuff happening, like uh, meetings for the sake of meetings and flights and all that stuff. And um, it had, in terms of career development, had uh, the potential to be quite a, quite a significant week for, for me. Anyway, some smart cookie at Connect Church decided it would be a good idea to go for a mountain bike ride the week before my busy week. Now, if you are aware of the mountain biking group here at Connect Church, it's not casual. <laughs> like, it's serious stuff. And when people invite people to come along in mountain bike, I kind of stand back and I'm like, don't do it. Like, it's a trap. It's too serious. Anyway, um, so we had this, this uh, so we decided to go for a ride and, and that was all good. Um, and then as we are sitting and standing in the car park, just, just talking, um, some person said, I'm going to take it easy today. And of course, take it easy in the Hebrew means it's a race. And so we did that. We declared it was going to be a race. And then, not only to compound the problem, not only that, to compound the problem, my brother-in-law James Turner decided to 
bring along a camera. What could go wrong? And so we get to, uh, oh, actually, let me give you a bit, of, uh, a bit of background on how the brain works really quickly. Left side of the brain, rational thinking and logical decision making. When I'm on my bike, the left side of my brain goes for smoko, <laughs> like it does not operate. And, and so we're riding to the top of this hill, and someone said, let's take it easy. And I thought, well, okay, let's go. And then um, as we are riding the bikes down, um, you got to understand, I was following behind Pastor Kyle. Okay, he was, he was there, and he's partly to blame for this, okay? Um, <laughs> but we approached this part of the track where James, my brother, was with the camera, and, and Kyle, Pastor Kyle, went over this jump and did the most majestic thing you could ever imagine. I can't even describe it. You just have to imagine it. And so... I thought to myself, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And I said to myself, two words, why not? <laughs> why not? And um, what I failed to realize is that Pastor Kyle is a much, much better writer than me. And so as I was going over, over this jump, um, he did it, and, and then I did it. Um, and I thought I was so high on this jump that I was in heaven. I was meeting Jesus in heaven, but I was meeting a rock face. And so legend has it to this day. The facial structure of my face is still implanted on that rock structure even today. So I had this quite significant crash, and the good news is that there was a photo taken. But what it doesn't show is what happened after um, when I came face to face with the rock face. Um, uh, what did happen though, was a doctor's visit that wrote me off for the entire week, and where the doctor said, you can't fly, and so I had planned this week, and what I thought was going to be a successful week in terms of career, but the doctor said, nope, no travel, and it turned out to be a week of Panadol, a week of rest, and a week of TLC from Miranda. A single momentary lapse of decision-making plus pressure from parts to Kyle and a camera <laughs> led to a week of angst, a week of irritation, and a week of disruption. You know, disruption happens. Disruption happens, and we can't always predict it, uh, but we can choose our attitude. We can choose our attitude in the midst of it. There's many forms of disruption, some minor, but there's some more serious ones, right? You may be going through a restructure at work. Uh, you may have lost a loved one. Um, you may just be down and out on, on, on life. But there's hope. There's hope. The, the Bible is uh, full of disruptive moments. In fact, you will be hard-pressed to find a character in the Bible that did not go through some form of disruption. We have this capability on iPhones, I'm not sure if it's on Samsungs, it's called the Do Not Disturb button. A and it's great for things like this, because I can turn it on and no one disturbs me. It's good for things like meetings or movies or sleeping. You have this ability to click a button and you get no uh, disruption at all. A and sometimes we think, man, how good would it be to have that functionality in life? Like if we could just go, do not disturb me, and then continue on with life. But God seldom does things the way that you and I want them to be done. 
And so while we might not see the end of disruption, God already knows the outcome. There's several things that have happened in, in my life and, and in our life that I would have never thought would have happened. Um, and many occasions it's tested my faith um, and, and really stretched me. And um, I said it before, but I didn't really know what it means. But it's put my faith through the ringer. And a ringer is, I believe, a washing machine, old school one. And so I feel like my faith's getting like stretched and pulled in all sorts of, of dis, uh, different situations. And, and we can be real this morning, right? We can profess and we can proclaim that we trust in him, but that doesn't void the fact that what we're going through is still tough. Like it doesn't, it doesn't cancel out the fact that it's still hard to continue. You know, we have heaps to be thankful for, but sometimes the pace and pressure of life often squeezes every ounce out of us. And our shoulders become slumped and our heads are bowed. We find some days... Some weeks, some months, and even some years hard to get through. A couple of questions that I've thought about while preparing for this message is things like, how do we respond to disruption? Like, like how do we react when we're in the midst of disruption? Like, do we deal with it internally or do we deal with it externally? Uh, do, we, do we talk to others a, a, about it or do we praise through or do we push through? There's all sorts of questions that have run through uh, my mind, and the reality is answers to these are going to be different for all of us, right? Because we're all different, and we deal with things differently. While this may be the case, can I remind you that we serve the same God, we read the same word, we have the same promises, and we're part of the same kingdom. So... Themes in Philippians to help us get through disruption. Uh, in terms of length, the, Philipp- the book of Philippians is fairly short, right? There's four chapters, uh, but the themes are clear. And my hope in sharing these is that you've got a little bit more oomph and a little bit more gas in the tank to, to continue on. Now, I don't want to give you instructions. I don't want to give you points to get through disruption because I don't know the answer. I have no idea. Um, what I do know is that the Word of God has the answer. And while I can't give you points, I can tell you some of the things that have happened in Philippians so you can, after the service, go and think, what do I need to do? What are the points that I need to find out? Um, The book is written by Paul the Apostle. Uh, Philippians is a church in the city of Philippi. How convenient. Um, It's one of four prison letters. Now, there's a clear reference to the emotional tie between Paul and the Philippians. So Philippians... Uh, the church was present with him in his work, although they couldn't always be with him physically. They financially supported him. They prayed for him. And Paul knew that they genuinely did care for him. Uh, So Paul, what he's doing in this letter is writing to show a bit of appreciation and a bit of affection to the church itself. Uh, Paul's been wrongfully arrested, um, bitten by a snake. Ever been bitten by a snake? Still yet to meet someone. And left under house arrest. Like, life was tough, right? Life was tough for Paul. Um, Paul suffered greatly. One time he was stoned and left for dead. And um, key point is he, he didn't always bear well up to these hardships, right? You know, we, we preach on, on how great Paul was and how good Paul is. And while he is indeed, uh, we often forget that at times he was depressed. And at, timed, at times he was even despairing. We know that in his third ministry journey, in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8, 
This is Paul speaking. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. Uh, We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired life itself. And what Paul's doing here is he's describing a sense of defeat uh, and temporarily losing hope because of the conditions and circumstances that he faced. He was human. Paul was human. And so are you, I think. And, and he had weaknesses like us. He had weaknesses like us. Um, he struggled. Uh, he wanted to give up at times. And he felt abandoned. But even though Paul felt all of this, he knew that life was never truly hopeless. And that God could rescue him from any trouble. That's Paul. Uh, You also have the Philippians going through their own stuff. So not only do you have Paul who's writing from a prison cell, you have the Philippians who are going through their own turmoil, their own oppression, and their own hardship. First theme I want you to write down is peace. Peace. Keeping in mind the state of which Paul is writing the letter in, in Philippians 4 verse 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a statement. What a statement. And nothing be anxious. Do not be overly concerned. You know, sometimes we think that peace is measured by uh, outward appearances, right? Like if I walk around with a smile on my face, um, then I'm at peace. Like if I walk around with a sense of confidence and boldness, then then I'm at peace. And I think what's happened is we've become masters of disguise in that an external reference of or reflection of peace has become second nature for us. But how many know that peace isn't an external thing? Peace is all about what's happening on the inside. That's 100% an internal thing. It's a spirit thing. And peace is predicated on being content. It's predicated on being content. Philippians 4.13 is one of, arguably, the most referred to scripture in Philippians. Okay, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, when we take this out of context, we think that it means achievement. I can do anything. That's what we, that's what we, we think it means for, for many of us. But if you look at the preceding verses, it's not a scripture about achievement. It's about contentment. It's about contentment. Because Paul declares that right before Philippians 4.13, he says, I know what it means to be in need. And, and I know what it means to have everything. I've learned to be content whether starving or well-fed. And I know what it means to be content whether I have plenty whether I have nothing. And so I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is referring to the ability of a Christian to remain and endure hardship, endure turmoil, and endure oppression. You know, Paul was uh, content or he was at peace in his spirit, even with imprisonment, as long as Christ was being lifted up. What a challenge for us. What an absolute challenge for us as we face disruption. Theme number two. Um, is the classic joy. 
joy. Write it down, joy. Um, from beginning to the end, there's a resounding expression of joy right throughout Philippians, especially in a time of affliction and uncertainty. In Philippians 3, 1, it says, Further, my brothers and sisters rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Joy, rejoice, and rejoicing are repeated. But whilst it's repeated, it is arguably the hardest thing to do. Right? It's the hardest thing to recognize, and it's the hardest thing to execute. Now, maybe it's me, but, but when I'm facing uh, disruption or facing trials, joy is not the first thing that I want to do or rejoice. It's not even the second or the third. It's probably the last thing that I want to do. And you meet people who is like, just rejoice. And I think it's, it's so much easier said than done. Right? It's not only commanded in the book of Philippians, but it's commanded right throughout uh, the Bible. And I want to say this. While it is hard to do, let's take encouragement in the idea that God is utterly committed to our joy. That he provides a stable source of joy that is freely given to us rather than through our own feeble efforts. Joy, uh, joy is a funny one. We, we think it means to be happy. I said it before, we walk around with a perpetual smile on our face and we are full of joy. Like, do I have to walk around in the situations that I face and say, oh, this is so good. Like, I wish this would always happen to me. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. What I love about Philippians is that Paul doesn't put on a happy face and deny the intensity of his troubles or ignore how much he hurts. In fact, in Philippians, it's one of the first things that he acknowledges. He says, well, you know, while he acknowledges it, he, he doesn't allow them to rob him of his joy. In Philippians 1, 18 to 9, uh, 1, 18, 19, Paul says, what does it matter? What, is it, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. His joy wasn't an automatic feeling. His joy wasn't an automatic feeling, but rather a deliberate choice. He repeatedly says, in this I will rejoice, in that I will rejoice, in the thing that I'm about to face, I will rejoice. Theme number three is unity. Theme number three is unity. Philippians is a letter addressed to a local church. It's not surprising that unity is a prevalent theme throughout the book. Uh, in Philippians 2, 1 to 2, it says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. You know, it captures the important theme of unity within the body of Christ. In other words, stick together. Stick together. What, what we need, I think, is a true form of unity and a true form of fellowship. An attitude of saying, I can't get through this on my own. I need prayer. I need petition. And I need some support to help me get me through. In 
Philippians 1.27, it says, Whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. You know, what you're going through can, can be a hope or an anchor for someone else. It's probably more valuable than you think. I was out for, for breakfast with uh, my connect group just during the week, and um, we went around the, the table, breakfast table, just talking about what God's doing in our lives. And uh, as we started to go around and just share a few things, um, at the end of it, I had so much peace and I had so much joy because what I, what I was going through, um, A, someone was going through it now, or B, they'd already gone through it. And just by hearing what God was doing, and just by hearing the fact that someone else is going through the same stuff, I was like, man, God's bringing some peace in my heart about this situation. And there was that massive sense of unity, like they were my brothers sitting around the breakfast table. And that's exactly what unity means. The third theme is a sharing or a bond of identity, of purpose, of mission, and of experiences. Now, last week, Pastor Grace said, um, I don't know if this is the exact words, but Pastor Grace said, um, pastors are like bricks. You know, everyone thinks that we're solid in what we do, but we're not. And, and I don't know about the other pastors, but I certainly agreed with that. Like I said, I, I'm, I'm not solid. Like there are times when, when I fail. There are times when I fall over. There are times when I stumble. And it doesn't matter who you are or how important you are. You, fall, you will face trials and you will face disruption. And as we look around the world today, it's, it's not hard to find reasons for discouragement, right? Uh, we find things like cultural pressures, illnesses, hunger, divorces, economic hardship, persecution of believers, both publicly and privately. The challenges or disruptions of life can quickly feel overwhelming. But what Paul knew in his situation was that the disruption or the situation was only temporary. That there was an end. In Philippians 1, 6-7, it says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Paul urged the Philippians not to allow individual hardship to hinder or their individual hardship to hinder their perseverance. He encouraged them to adopt a joyful and a contentment perspective and not allow anxiety to discourage them. Simply what, simply put, I think. For us, Paul's saying, view your situation or view your disruption through the lens of the gospel. Now, I don't have the right mix of ingredients to, to get you through disruption. You said it before, we all respond to things in, in different ways, yet the themes are clear. 
The themes in Philippians are clear so that we can learn from which conveniently is written from disruption to someone who is also going through disruption. I love what Paul says towards the end of Philippians. He says in 4.19, And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. You know, there's times when we, when we know that we're going through disruption, but sometimes there's times when we don't know. And uh, a little while ago, a couple of weeks, uh, probably about a month ago now, um, I got a, a message from a guy in the New Life Movement and we don't really talk outside of things like conferences and events. Um, and he just randomly messaged me out of the blue. And he said to me, what can I pray for? you got to keep in mind, we, we don't talk only at events. And I thought to myself, well, I can just list the things that I'm currently praying for at the moment. But I thought to myself, I'm going to sit on this for a few hours. And I think about my response. And so as I sat on it for a few hours, I started to write my response. And I sent a click send. And I thought to myself afterwards, I'm in a time of disruption. Like I, I'm in a time of disruption and I didn't even know it because I, I got so used to just praying the same prayers. It wasn't until I stood back and thought, what do I actually need prayer for? You know, I think when we do prayer at the end of a service, I think the prayer station should be packed. Like there should be a line waiting for prayer. God's got his plan and it'll work out stuff will happen in between A and in between B but it will pass it's temporary while we commonly acknowledge the plan that God has for us let's not forget about the individual activities that make up that plan and on many occasions many of these activities will be disruptive by nature yet what is most important is how we choose to respond to them are we responding with an attitude that is aligned to the gospel or are we grumbling are we anxious are we dealing with things internally now the the word disruption has two parts to it i'm going to finish with this the word disruption has two parts to it the first part is the greek word katabolo i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right probably not but it looks like it katabolo do you know what that means destruction It means degradation. It means decay or disintegration. It's a word with a negative connotation. The second part, though, the second part of the word disruption means themelios. Now, it is used to translate words that mean foundation. This is where it gets interesting because disruption is associated with the concept of laying something down for the purpose of to then create a foundation to build something upon it. You might be going through disruption. You might be experiencing destruction. But God's got a plan to use that as a foundation to build something else upon. I was at a a conference uh, a little while ago and there was a guest speaker there, keynote speaker. Uh, His name was Chris Gardner. If you've heard of the movie Pursuit of Happiness, um, this movie is based off of this character and he he went through and and did a bit of a talk. And uh, if you don't know the movie, 
basically a father and a son are homeless for a number of years and uh, they eventually see their way through it and, and become quite successful. And he said something in his keynote that will probably stick with me forever. And he said this, I, I tried to do things that my son wouldn't notice. I tried to do things that my son wouldn't notice so he wouldn't worry about our situation. For example, I gave blood so I could provide a meal for him. And that's exactly what our father does. That's exactly what our father does. We can only see what we can see, right? We can only see what we can see. That might, for many of us, be disruption after disruption after disruption. But our father is doing things in the background that we don't need to know about. He sees much more than we see. And he's doing things in the midst of disruption without us even recognizing. Amen, church. Can I close the word in prayer, please? All right, would you bow your heads? God, we thank you that you have a plan for our lives, Lord. God, we know like any plan out there, it is made up of a number of activities, milestones, or action points. God, many of these be disruptive in, in nature, but we acknowledge that it is your plan and you're invested in that 100%. God, I pray over, over what was spoken this morning. God, joy, God, peace, unity. God, may we, may we be reminded as we, as we face our own turmoil, as we face our own trouble, God, may we be reminded of what Paul was communicating to the Philippians, God. May we draw uh, upon these so that we can identify, God, what needs to be done to get out, to see the other end successfully, Lord. I pray that the word this morning would I'll fall on good hearts, God, on good soil as we leave this place, God. May we be transformed, not externally, not in our mind, God, but in our heart. You know, just while you got your heads bowed, uh, I just want to take a, a moment to pray for, or give someone an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And I did this about 10 years ago, similar setting in that a preacher was preaching and he did a prayer at the end and I said yes to Jesus, um, I've never looked back and what I want to do this morning is, is ask him is that you this morning? Do you want to say yes to Jesus? Do you want to accept him as your Lord and Saviour? And if you do, if that is you, I want to ask that you put your, he- uh, your hand nice and high on the count of three and what you're saying is you're saying yes pastor, uh, I want to get right with Jesus, I want to accept uh, God as my, Jesus my Lord and Saviour uh, and I want to continue a life that is all for Him. If that's you this morning, can you put your hand nice and high on the count of three so I know who I'm praying for? One, God loves you. Two, this will be the best decision you'll ever make. Three, if that's you, can you put your hand nice and high so I know who I'm praying for? Awesome, I see the hand. Thank you. Thank you. open for a little bit longer, just in case there's anyone else. 
let's pray as a as a family. And and uh, can you repeat after me? And can I ask that you do it with a bit of a excitement? Because how good is it that someone said yes to Jesus this morning? So will you join me in prayer this morning and repeat after me? I come to you in the name of Jesus. I admit that I wasn't right with you, but now I want to be right with you. Would you forgive me of all of my sin? I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead so that I might be saved. I believe with my heart and confess with my mouth in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Church, can we put our hands together for the people that said yes?